WRFI Community Radio News is made possible by listeners like you. Help us tell important stories about your community. Head to WRFI.org slash donate. This is WRFI Community Radio News, bringing you the news by and for the people of Ithaca and Watkins Glen. It's Friday, May 7th, 2021. I'm Jimmy Jordan. Today on the show, we're going to hear another installment of WRFI's Which Way Forward series, a public affairs project exploring the reimagining public safety collaborative and plan it produced. This episode will show the range of public opinion and reaction to the draft plan as it was shaped into its final form. Then, we bring you a speech from the recent 13th annual Izzy Awards. Hosted by Ithaca's Park School for Independent Media, this Izzy Award speech comes from the winner, Truth Out. But first, the news. Marty Hiller is stepping into the race for Ithaca's 5th Ward Common Council seat. Hiller has been an Ithacan for nearly 20 years. She is a graduate of MIT and holds a PhD in computational neuroscience. Hiller says her experience in developing Ithaca's eco-village and as the Ithaca Community Garden president are what has prepared her for the Common Council. She told the Ithaca Voice that she has the kind of mind that is good for solving complex issues and is also skilled at building consensus. A Tompkins County woman was ordered by appellate justices in Albany to remove a rock from her driveway with a Confederate flag painted on it. Otherwise, she risks a change of circumstances in the custody case of her multiracial daughter. The Albany Times Union reports that the appellate court voted 5-0 to zero to keep the daughter in joint custody between the woman and her ex-husband. If the flag is not removed from the woman's property by June 1st, then that decision could be reconsidered. The court said that the flag is not in the child's best interest and would, quote, thrust her into a world that only makes sense through the tortured lens of cognitive dissonance. A bill proposed in the state Senate would require students attending college in New York to be vaccinated for COVID-19. Time Warner Cable News reports that the measure is meant to help college campuses fully reopen by the fall, but also to protect the the communities those institutions are in. The bill was proposed by State Senator Brad Hoyleman, who made the point that New York already requires students taking in-person classes to be immunized for other diseases like measles, mumps, and rubella. Now a quick update on COVID-19 in our area. Tompkins County is reporting six new positive cases of COVID and 49 active cases. Schuyler County is reporting one new case and 11 active cases. And here's the weather forecast, courtesy of the National Weather Service. Tonight, showers likely with a chance of snow, low in the mid-30s. Saturday, strong chance of rain, slight chance of snow, high in the mid-50s. Saturday night, partly cloudy skies, low near 40. Looking forward to Sunday, mostly sunny with a chance of showers in the afternoon.
and evening, high in the upper 50s. You're tuned into WRFI, listening to WRFI Community Radio News. Now on the program, Which Way Forward, a public affairs series exploring the contours of the Reimagining Public Safety Collaborative and now plan in Ithaca and Tompkins County. The episode you're about to hear is a coordination of the public opinions, views, and takes on the Reimagining Public Safety Draft Report. To be clear, these are all voices and community members speaking when the plan was in that draft phase. It comes to us from Ithaca Park scholar James Barada. Here's that piece. We've reviewed the public safety reimagining report. I am particularly supportive of elements that are recommending greater resource allocation to unarmed response. And we feel that some of the recommendations... Because I find this proposal completely reprehensible. ...to pose a threat to public safety as well as officer safety. Ithaca's reaction to the proposed reimagining public safety report was like a firework. Opinions going off in every direction. Why were these conversations had with police officers who are, sorry, part of a systematic problem with no matter how much you change their name, they're still going to be the same thing. You get rid of the police, you switch it up, you change it to to whatever, we still in the same situation. Because when I hear this, keeping the mental health and the social services involved to be a part of this work, that's kind of scary because they work off of a racist system too. The primary demand was not different policing, it was less policing. Um, Defunding and depolicing remain the primary goals. What is a rebranding for some is a leap of faith to others. Many call to defund the police, while a number of community members demand outright abolition. Then there are those who do not support defunding the police and view the plan as solely destructive, tearing down an already functioning police department, one of the best in New York State, some say. I'm James Barada, and you're listening to Which Way Forward? In this episode, I'm going to try to show you the full spectrum of perspectives surrounding the Reimagining Public Safety Report. What public safety would look like is that it would be more responsive, more present in communities, particularly vulnerable communities, but that footprint would be less militarized. And that's a way of solving this tension that frankly has gripped this country not just for the last year, but for uh, decades. That's Ithaca Mayor Svante Myrick. He explained that Tompkins County's response to Executive Order 203 seeks to dismantle systemic racism in social services and invigorate the community through divestment from policing and an investment in social infrastructure. We've been asking police to do things that aren't law enforcement problems. And that is a dynamic that's not working for anybody. It's not working for the community at large or for law enforcement. When that's the case, the danger is not in trying something new. The danger is sticking with the status quo. It's hard to know where to start with the public's reaction. People are disagreeing for very different reasons. Some say the plan is too radical, while others argue it doesn't do enough for communities of color. Mike Brindisi, a local entertainer and resident of Tompkins County, said that he recognizes the need for police reform. However, he isn't sure if this is the way to go about it. We need to hold officers accountable, and this can't go on. It's an epidemic. But with that being said, that does not mean we need to throw out all police. Abolishing of the IPD is not the way to do it. I have children and a wife. You know, their safety matters to me. 
Jack Nelson is a former officer with the IPD. He argued that affirmative action is needed to reduce instances of racism in policing. But the city, in my opinion, has had opportunities to put officers of color in positions of authority. Who is best able to handle situations of racism other than officers of color who have, for the most part, lived the experience their whole life? As a Black man, I can tell you I've had way worse incidents with Black cops than I have had with white cops. That was Kime. He chose to remain anonymous, citing death threats from white supremacists. Kim explained that racial injustice can and still does happen when officers of color follow the rules laid out in the current system, adding that policing in its current state is not preventive or proactive. Despite the reimagining public safety report's commitment to retraining, Kim A said he doesn't support the plan because it allows IPD officers to keep their jobs in the new department. And he isn't alone in his views. There's a long list of training that they've quote-unquote been doing for years. That was Kate Liebaugh. She spoke at a public forum in November 2020. So they already do a lot of these things that people are mentioning as action steps that we should take for police reform. Obviously, this does not work. Lisa Christian, another community member, spoke at the same public forum. I would like to see the focus on the officers not having the training just to say we tick this box or we've checked this box, but to really see some changed perspectives and worldviews, particularly as it pertains to black and brown communities. Kim is one community member who supports abolishing the system of policing entirely. When I say abolish IPD, right, I don't mean everybody just does what they want. I mean abolish the system as it currently is, because the system, it stands to punish Black and Brown and Indigenous people. That is a problem. And until that problem is solved, we will never get anywhere. Preventive policing seeks to decrease instability in the community by using public funds to increase economic opportunity and social mobility for marginalized groups. For some, now is the time to be distinguishing between positive and negative reforms, as the root causes of crime run much deeper than we've been led to believe. Dr. Russell Rickford is an associate professor at Cornell University specializing in African-American political culture. He distinguished between what would constitute a rebranding and an actual reimagining of public safety at a town hall in March. Non-reformist reforms shift genuine power and resources back to the people and begin to take us in the direction we want to go as a society. So the question is, will reimagining public safety take us closer to where we want to be as a society? Or is reimagining just rebranded, right? Is it putting lipstick on a pig? So in other words, Kim A says... Negative reform is when you see an increase in crime, right? You say, okay, there's an increase in crime. That means we need more police officers. Positive reform is when you see an increase in crime, you're like, okay, people need more resources. One of those resources is mental health care. The county's plan will allow for the allocation of resources to social programs like law enforcement, assisted diversion, or LEAD. It seeks to lower the numbers of those arrested and entering the criminal justice system. Ideally, it will mitigate the racial disparities caused by this system. Also in the plan is a clear commitment to reconciliation. I don't think there can be real reconciliation until the individuals who have been harmed by the police get actual reparations and accountability from the police. And reparations also is accountability. Like reparations doesn't just mean money. This builds upon another recommendation outlined in the plan for public safety reform. Recommendation 15, which seeks to promote police accountability through additional civilian oversight. 
officers who engage in misconduct would face disciplinary action from a county-level public safety review board and in Ithaca, the community police board. However, the city will have to negotiate the authority of the community police board with the IPBA, a negotiation that will require the cooperation of the union. Some community members have seen the IPBA as an obstacle to reform. People recognize that police cannot reform themselves. That's Dr. Rickford again. That the institution of policing itself is rotten. That the expansion and militarization of police has increased right in recent decades while the social services and programs that actually keep us safe, the programs and the social spending that actually keep us safe are slashed. Residents have made it clear that public safety goes far beyond policing. They have long emphasized the need to divest from traditional forms of law enforcement and invest in social infrastructure. This bold plan to reimagine public safety seeks to demilitarize, set into motion a cultural transformation among law enforcement officers, and directly address trauma experienced by community members at the hands of police. And while residents have mixed feelings about the plan itself, they found common ground in alternatives to policing, though some are more adamant about prioritizing the needs of the community than others. This is James Barada for WRFI. Again, that was James Barada with an installment of the WRFI Public Affairs series, Which Way Forward? Which Way Forward is a collaboration between WRFI, the Ithaca Voice, Ithaca's Park Scholars, and Engaged Cornell. To listen to more from the series, you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. We'll be right back with Truth Out, one of the winners of the 13th Annual Izzy Awards. are given out by the Ithaca Park Scholar, excuse me, the Ithaca's Park School for Independent Media to journalists, outlets, or any producer who makes, in their view, an outstanding achievement in independent media. At this year's 13th annual Izzy Award, the independent outlet Truthout was honored with such an award for their series of articles about the political, economic, racial, the multifaceted implications of the COVID-19 pandemic. Their editor-in-chief, Maya Shenwar, delivered a speech in lieu of the outlet's acceptance. Here is that speech. Our role in this era of independent and progressive media is to be firmly on the side of justice. We don't see a reason to hide what side we're on. So at Truthout, when COVID hit, we thought really deeply about what we could uniquely contribute to covering an issue that basically every news publication would be covering. 
And we decided to ground ourselves in our mission and focus on exposing the systemic injustices that were driving so many aspects of the crisis. So we launched this series, Despair and Disparity, in early March of 2020. You know, it's an honor to present this award to an outlet that I rely on, that I read, that I have occasionally written for, a truly independent news outlet that has no corporate owners, no corporate sponsors, that is supported totally by its readership and therefore has no editorial obstacles to its pursuit of truth and it is aptly named truthout.org. Last year, in its coverage of the uneven burdens of COVID-19, Truthout explored the class and racial disparities that have long existed in our country and that have been brought into sharp relief uh, due to the pandemic. And during the year of social distancing, Truthout was venturing where few other outlets were going uh, to look at the various impacts of COVID. And in two articles that you could have read in Truthout last year about the impact of COVID on prisoners, these two articles were written by prison inmate in Michigan, Lasino Hamilton, from inside prison, exploring issues from the inside that very few others were even looking at. And on September 30th of last year, Lasino Hamilton walked free from the Michigan prison system because of Truthout. Because Truthout had brought national attention to his case, his cause, that Truthout beginning six years ago had given a public platform to this self-taught intellectual, this self-taught writer Lasino Hamilton. How many news outlets can say that they played a major role in freeing an innocent man from prison? He spent 26 years of wrongful incarceration inside the Michigan prison system. So it is a pleasure to introduce the longtime editor-in-chief of Truthout, who will accept the award on behalf of the outlet, and that is Maya Shenwar. I want to say on behalf of the whole Truthout team, we're just so honored to be receiving this Izzy Award. We have immense respect for the Park Center, and we're grateful to be recognized, particularly alongside Liliana and Tim, who are just such excellent journalists doing this deep investigative work. Thank you to the whole phenomenal Truthout editorial and production team. Alana, Brittany, Candace, Mike, Sam, Anton, Will, Melody, Lorenzo, Marula, Lauren, Kelly, Jared, and Sharon, and Chris. 
am so lucky to work with these folks. All of them spent this year working to cope with the pandemic in their own lives and also covering the pandemic at the same time every day for our, our daily edition. So this is just a, a monumental feat. And I also want to recognize our publisher, Ziggy West Jeffrey, and the fundraising team because they made it possible for us to do this work at all. As Jeff mentioned, we are primarily overwhelmingly supported by small donations. We don't have corporate sponsors and or party sponsors or anything like that. So this year was a massive team effort and every single person at the organization made it possible. It's especially affirming for Truth Out to be recognized with this Izzy Award because so much of what we strive to do aligns with I.F. Stone's expression of his journalistic mission and also the, the Park Center's mission too, which is bound up with values as well as with truth speaking. So it turns out we don't claim to adhere to this illusory standard of complete objectivity or balance. And instead, we're committing ourselves to values that we believe are more important. We commit ourselves to the pursuit of social and racial and economic and environmental justice. We commit ourselves to accuracy and transparency and journalistic accountability. And most of all, we commit ourselves to recognizing the full humanity of everybody. So when we publish something, we're thinking, what do we want this to do in the world for people? And one thing that we've, we've really been trying to keep in mind throughout this year, throughout the Trump administration really, is that words are active. Publishing is an action and it's not always a positive one. We have seen all too vividly over the past few years that fascists have flourishing media platforms that are amplifying their work. And also the dominant corporate media often publishes narratives that fuel state violence and cement the social and racial and economic hierarchies that are killing people. So we launched this series, Despair and Disparity, in early March of 2020. And in approaching this project, we had to think creatively about what it would mean to do authentic reporting during a time of social distancing. And in doing that, we reaffirmed our commitment to seeking ways for impacted people to share their own stories on our pages, both through interviews and reporting, and also through publishing people's narratives. So we published reporting and narratives that were written by people who were incarcerated about the brutal conditions inside jails and prisons and ICE detention during the pandemic. We published the narratives of medical workers who were given inadequate protection on the job and brought COVID home to their family members. We published analysis by people who were impacted by the foster care system and were now looking at how pandemic era foster care policies were tearing families apart. And then meanwhile, we were working to tell the stories of 
how the pandemic was exacerbating existing injustices. So we reported on how the war on drugs was fueling overdoses and overdoses just skyrocketed over the past year. And this was at a time when conservatives were blaming the overdose crisis on COVID safety measures. We reported on how long running systems of abandonment were resulting in even more black and indigenous people, disabled people, immigrants, people experiencing homelessness, becoming ill and dying during the pandemic. We reported on the ways in which the climate crisis and environmental degradation set the conditions for the pandemic and also worsened its effects. And we've been writing, of course, about the battle over patents and the grossly inequitable nature of vaccine distribution globally. But also, I just want to mention that throughout the pandemic, we have worked to show how wherever there is oppression, people are struggling against it, building movements of resistance. We reported on mutual aid efforts that have grown and flourished over the past year, and also how those efforts have been bolstered and strengthened by the uprisings to defund police and defend Black lives. We published stories about prison hunger strikes and investigated the work of people inside who were rebelling amid COVID, joining in the uprisings. We highlighted the labor struggles and the labor victories of those who were forced into really untenable working conditions during the pandemic, and also the teachers and students who were pushing for education justice during this time of austerity. In his introduction, Jeff mentioned Truthout's work on the Sino Hamilton story and how, in addition to our initial reporting, Lucino wrote articles for us from inside Michigan prisons for many years, including during COVID. And thank you so much, Jeff, for lifting that up. We are overjoyed that Lucino has been exonerated and released. And I can tell you that this was hands down the highlight of my year. And I'm honored to know that Truthout played a role. I also want to emphasize that the person at the forefront of that movement to free Lucino Hamilton was Lucino himself. He always believed that his freedom was possible. And through that belief, showed us, I think, that the freedom of everyone was possible. He really galvanized us to fight with him because of that faith and that dedication and that collective spirit. And Lucino's goal was never to only get himself free, but to fight for all who are incarcerated and for collective liberation. I think that we in independent media should take a cue from that goal. I know we're trying to do that at Truth Out. So if and when this pandemic ends, inequity and injustice are going to persist. They're not going away. And we can't lose our momentum or lose our conviction or lose our drive to urgently, urgently do journalism in the service of justice until everybody is free. And so thanks again to the Park Center and to all of you who are joining us today. It's just such an honor for Truth Out.
Again, you were just listening to Maya Shenoir, editor-in-chief of Truthout. That was her speech accepting an Izzy Award on behalf of the outlet. And that will do it for our program today. If you want to hear more and you want to get daily updates on COVID-19, head over to WRFI.org. This show and all of WRFI's reporting is available anywhere you get your podcasts. If you value what we do here and you would like to contribute, you can support this program by going to WRFI.org slash donate. Today's feature producers were Ithaca Park scholar James Barada and WRFI intern Maya Noah. I, Jimmy Jordan, am the WRFI news director and producer of this program. If you've got a question, tip, anything for the news team, you can reach out to news at ithacaradio.org. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. One, two, three. W R F I.